I'm really excited thinking forward to next week and getting back into the gospel of Luke. That you know, that's that's kind of our thing. That's it's what we do of of just going through a book of the Bible, uh, walking through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I'm anxious to get back into it, but I'm also really excited to to be where we're at this week as we look at the the last installment of what's been a, a three-part series focused on discipleship. And I think the the reason that I'm excited to finally have arrived uh, to this point is that making disciples is the thing that we're called to do. Uh, that's the thing that the, the Lord has called all of his followers to. If you think back to when Jesus first called disciples to follow after him, and you think of that that scene where Jesus is calling some of the fishermen out of their boat. And what does Jesus say to them? What does he tell them about the transition that they're about to experience? He says this. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says to these guys, here's, here's what's going to happen. Is I'm going to make you into those who are, instead of fishing for fish, now you're fishing for men. And, and he, he clarified that through, through all of his ministry with them and, and nowhere more evidently than there towards the very end when, when Jesus, after his death and resurrection, after he had, had arranged to meet with his disciples in Galilee, that he speaks to them that thing that we call the Great Commission. And he tells them, this is, this is what I want you to be about. This is what you're to go after, is you are to make disciples. Go and make disciples. You see, as followers of Christ, you and I, our identity, who we are, is that we are children of God, right? We are children of God. We are those who love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with everything that we have, with everything that we are, we love the Lord. That's who we are. And because of who we are, what we do, in fact, the assigned task that we've been given is to tell others about him. We, we are to be ambassadors for Christ, right? And we, we live out this this identity of being a child of God by loving our neighbors as ourselves, by doing the most loving thing that we can do for anyone, and that's to tell them about the Lord who has rescued them from death. So what we do flows out of who we are. In fact, I think you could say that what we do, it is the outward expression it's how who we are gets lived out as we live our lives. But let's be honest, you and I, uh, well, I know for sure about me, I'm just guessing about you. I, I couldn't do this just in and of myself. I, I don't have love within me just waiting to, to, to gush out towards other people. Uh, the only way that I can do the thing that he has called me to do is if I have first encountered him, um, first been loved by him. Remember what John writes, 1 John 4, 19, we love 
because he first loved us. Isn't that reality? The only way that I can love others is if I have first been loved by God, if I have soaked in, bathed in his love, then I find that I have love aplenty to pour out upon others. It's only because I'm a child of God. It's only because I have experienced his love. It's only because he has set me free from guilt and shame. It's only because of Christ that I can do this thing that he's called me to do. That's why last week we recognized the fact that that we cannot make disciples unless we ourselves first are disciples. I mean, that, that just makes sense. You have to truly know Jesus before you can introduce others to him. You and I, we need that, that filling of the Holy Spirit, that, that empowered transformation, that work that God and God alone can do within our lives. We need Jesus' resurrection power active within us, giving us the ability to engage with others and to, to offer life to them. We need God Almighty indwelling us and enabling us to do this thing that he has called us to do, to represent him to those around us, uh, to love them the way that he has loved us, to be used by him, to offer reconciliation to this rebellious world. So that brings us to this week. Our job is to make disciples. The ability to make disciples, it comes from being a disciple. But what do we do when we get to that place of making disciples? What does it mean to go and make disciples? What does that look like? How is that going to function? How do we start? What is it that we're, we're trying to accomplish? Well, there is... There's no passage in Scripture that gives us a definitive process or an outline for us on how to go about making disciples. Instead, there are many concepts that are laid out for us, statements that Jesus makes to his own disciples, uh, things that Paul wrote to to Timothy or to uh, Titus or to the churches that Paul discipled. And more than anything, in Scripture, there are examples of discipleship. We see Barnabas come alongside Paul. We see Paul pull Timothy and Titus and and these various churches alongside him and disciple them. Probably best of all, we see Jesus. We see Jesus call disciples to himself And that's really where we want to start. That's really what we want to look at. Um, There are a lot of things we could talk about with discipleship, but I I want to keep it kind of simple this morning. I want to very generally look at what I would consider to be three stages of discipleship that Jesus seemed to take his followers through. To do that, I want you to remember with me back to the very earliest moments of Jesus's ministry. 
I, I want to bring you back to that scene in the Gospel of John where Jesus is out preaching his message, but he does not yet have any disciples, anyone really following him. Now, Jesus' cousin, uh, the guy that we call John the Baptist, he was out preaching a message as well. He was out calling people to, to turn away from their sin and to turn back to God. And well, John, he had disciples, And we read in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, a moment of transition. It says the next day that John, that is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, to you and me, That phrase may not mean a lot, but to these Jews who were used to time after time bringing a sacrifice to the temple, a lamb, to die in their place, to pay the penalty for their sin, they understood what John the Baptist was saying when he looked at Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. This is the Savior, John was saying. This is the Messiah. And, and so these two disciples, they heard John the Baptist say this, and so they followed Jesus. I mean, literally, and not, just, not just figuratively. They saw Jesus walking, and they began to follow him down the road. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? What do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In other words, we want to go with you. Wherever you're going to be, we want to be. We want to be with you. And Jesus said to them, come and you'll see. Come and see. Jesus begins this process with his disciples with a a very simple invitation. He says, come, look for yourself. Come, let's examine the facts. Let's consider and let's see. He says to them, come and see what I'm about. Come and see what I'm like. Come and see who I am. Come and hear what my message actually is. Now, these men, they didn't just come out of nowhere. They They had been John's disciples. They had come to John, or they came to Jesus because of John's recommendation, and they'd come to John because they had responded to this message that John was preaching about turning away from your sin and turning to God. And then when Jesus shows up, John simply points them to him, to the Lamb of God. And so they left John, and they began to follow Jesus. And by the way, that was John's plan all along. This is probably as good of a place as any to to notice something here. As we enter into the process of making disciples, we need to realize that we are not making disciples who will be loyal to us, but we are making disciples who will loyally follow Jesus. 
The end goal isn't for them to be with us. The end goal is for them to be with Jesus. Oh, yes, sure, they will follow our example as we follow Christ. But you and I, we're never to seek to get people to follow us. We point people to Jesus. That's our role in this. We don't draw them to ourselves. We don't hold ourselves up as being the leader, as being the point of it all, but rather we are like signposts that point to Jesus. So these two disciples of John the Baptist, at his recommendation, they walk away and they begin to follow Jesus and Jesus invites them to come and see. And so it just makes sense that that this might be where you and I would start as well when we consider stepping in to the arena of discipleship, whether it be with a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or even some stranger that the Lord brings across our path, that as we share the gospel message with others, we don't wait for a response. We don't demand that they come to a point of decision before we begin to pour into their lives, but rather in the midst of them hearing and processing about the Savior that we would invite them to come and discover more, to come and to see, to come and to to discover all that God has done so that they might be offered salvation. We invite them to come and to look at these things with us. That's where discipleship starts. It doesn't wait until someone comes to a a place of full surrender to Christ. I mean, look at Jesus' own disciples. I mean, you read, for a good portion of the gospels, you read the stuff these things say and they do, and you wonder, are these guys even saved? I mean, they're, they're not quite as messed up as we are, right? But they're in process in the midst of this time. And so too will be the people that we choose to begin to invest in and that we invite to come and to see and together with us to begin to look at Christ, to look at what what the Bible says about this Lamb of God. We begin to care for them in a way that provides what they need to discover more We begin to care for them with a a tenderness that the Apostle Paul describes as the tenderness of a mother. You think of Paul talking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 about his ministry among them. Paul says, hey, listen, remember what it was like when I first came. He said, we were gentle among you as a nurse or a mother nurtures her own children We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. I think that's so key. It's so key what Paul says is, man, I'm not only going to give you the message, I'm not only going to give you the facts of the gospel, but I'm going to begin to give you my life. I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to let you process these things and consider these things in the context of a relationship.
You know, quite often, people who have lived a long time in rebellion against God, uh, uh, they need time. And they need the experience of seeing God's grace lived out in your life before they're going to be willing to acknowledge that it might just be real. A lot of them have been hurt. They've been hurt by Christians or hurt by the church or or maybe they wrongly accuse God of hurting them. And they need that context of that nurturing relationship of pulling them in and allowing them to process these truths. Well, we encourage them along as we provide the nourishment spiritually that they so, so desperately need. And so for you and for me, discipleship begins with an offer to come and to see. Come and together, let's look at, at God's word and what it says about Jesus. Come and see. Come and see Jesus in my life on good days and on bad days. Come and see. Come and see what it's like to live in a relationship with the God who created you. And notice here that in this infancy stage that these new disciples, they are cared for with tenderness. They are encouraged and nurtured like a mother with with a baby. But it doesn't always stay like that. It doesn't always stay like that because no one wants a 25-year-old who still wants a bottle and still wears diapers, right? And so there's got to be progression. There's got to be forward movement that that, that takes place. And we see that with Jesus and with his disciples. He calls them into a next stage. He began by saying to them, come and see. But very soon we see that there is a transition that takes place where Jesus calls them out of the crowd. And he says, I want you to come and be with me. I want you to come and be with me. One of my favorite parts of the gospel of Mark is there in in chapter three is Jesus is is teaching massive crowds there in in the area of Capernaum. And Jesus withdraws from the crowds and the crowds follow him. And he withdraws from the crowds and the crowds follow him until finally Jesus ends up having withdrawn up, it says, to a mountaintop. And there it says something that that is so amazing. It says there in chapter 3, right around in in verse 13 and 14, that he he summoned those or called those whom he wanted. I love that. I love that because it's a reminder that he wants us. You ever feel like God's just putting up with you? I mean, he, he made you, so he's kind of obligated. It's like, okay, this one really irritates me, but I did make it, and, you know, it is saved, and, you know, someday I will fix it so it's not so obnoxious. You ever feel like that's the way God looks at you? No. Jesus looks at us, and he is calling us to him. He desires for us to be with him. Look at this. It says that, that he called those to him whom he wanted and he, they came to him and he appointed the 12 and he had a purpose for this. He had a reason for this and he gives several reasons, but the first, and I believe the foremost is this, to be with him, 
to be with him. What Jesus wants of us first and foremost is for us to be with him. And so he calls these disciples out of the crowd, and that was a big transition for them, right? You think about this. They had become those who followed Jesus from place to place. They were there in Capernaum when he was teaching the crowds. And then they went out to the hillsides, and they were with him there. And then they went down, down by the lake, and they were following Jesus there. But this comes to a point where Jesus calls them out of the crowd, where they are not just coming to hear him teach, but they are now going to begin to travel with him to live with him, to see him day in and day out, to be there before he's had his morning cup of coffee, to, to be there after the last person from that crowd has finally gone home, to experience him no longer from a distance and not just hearing what he said to the crowds, but, but seeing how he interacted with people, talking with him daily, asking questions, getting answers. And it was different not just because of their proximity, but because there had come a change in their relationship uh, with him as well. Because you see, by this point, these men had, they had made a decision. Certainly their faith was not a complete work, but by this point, they certainly believed that Jesus was the Messiah that he was the Savior, and they saw themselves as his disciples and him as their rabbi or master. You see, before they had asked questions of Jesus as curious inquirers, but now they asked questions of their Lord. And when they heard his answers, they heard them as his commands. They had transitioned to submitting themselves to him. They were growing. They were growing not only in their understanding, but in their relationship with him. And as that happened, Jesus began to include them in his ministry. He involved them when he fed the crowds, and he, he even sent them out with his message. He even gave them power. He gave them power to heal and to cast out demons. Jesus not only taught them, but he put them in situations that would challenge them to grow, and he involved them in meaningful ministry. So too, when someone that we are sharing with about the Lord, when they come to that place of decision, when they choose Christ, when they come to submission to him, that isn't when we walk away. That isn't when we decide, hey, got another one, put a notch in my belt, I'm ready to move on. Hey, you know, being content that, hey, they've come to faith in the Lord and now I'm just gonna move on. You know, we invite them to church and, and that's enough. No, that isn't. I do invite them to church, I do encourage that. But do more than that, begin to care for them. Care for them as that mother cares for an infant. What mother would, would bring a child to birth and then just simply walk away, content that life had been given? No, what they need 
is to be nurtured, to be encouraged, to, to read the word. They need to be helped to understand what it is that they read. We need to pray with them. Goodness sake, probably the only time they've ever heard people pray is on TV. And we don't want them following that train wreck, right? No, 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 we want to begin to pray with them, to speak with the Lord with them. We want to provide opportunity for them to be in fellowship and to, to learn what it means to, to let others speak into their lives and to speak into the lives of those with whom they're in fellowship. We want to let them serve with us. Oh, they'll come along at first and they'll watch and they learn, but eventually they'll want to help. And, and when they want to help, we should let them. We should answer questions. We should stir up their curiosity. We could spur them on to growth. We should nurture them like a mom, but there's more than that too. We need to challenge them like a dad. I've heard it said that there's no such thing as parenting. There is only fathering and mothering. I think that's true. I mean, just watching within the dynamics of our own family, you know, when a kid falls off a bike, there are two responses. And they come from the same people each time. One is concerned that life will not perish in that moment. The other just wants them back on the bike, right? There's the mom who is nurturing and encouraging and supportive. And there's the dad who says, come on, let's go. Brush it off. Come on, brush it off. It, you know, it was just a cement block you ran into. It's no big deal. Come on, let's, let's, let's go. And one of my kids rode a bicycle into a snowplow. Come on, get up, brush it off. Let's go. We'll bend that bike back into shape. You know, it, let's keep going here. And, and there needs to be both. I mean, goodness sake, if, if kids only had dads, they wouldn't survive. But if they only had moms, they'd be in diapers at 25. Both are needed. And, and those that we disciple, those that we encourage in their walk with the Lord, they need both of those voices in their life. In fact, Paul, Paul recognized that. Paul, a little bit after he talks to them about the fact that he was gentle with them like a mother, because it isn't just moms who get to be gentle like that. Paul says, oh, and I'm sure you won't forget, verse 11, like a father with his own children, we encouraged comforted and implored each of you to walk worthy of God. Paul says, man, we challenged you. We challenged you to grow and to grow up in your walk with Christ. That's the goal, isn't it? It starts off by feeding them, but eventually we want to teach them to feed themselves, right? You don't want to be playing the, you know, put the airplane in the hangar with your 20-year-old. You know, oh, here comes the choo-choo train. Open up the tunnel, you know. No, that gets old when they're little. You, you want them to be self-feeding. So too with disciples. But we don't stop there. We don't stop there. It isn't just enough for a disciple to be able to feed themselves. What do you want to teach them to do? You want to teach them to feed others. It doesn't end with them. You want them to turn around and begin to minister to others. And it doesn't even stop there because really what we want to do is to teach them how to teach others to feed themselves so that we can move from addition into multiplication. We understand that? 
The goal line with discipleship isn't salvation, nor is it even maturity or self-care. But we want to be discipler makers. We want to not just make people who are saved. We want to not just make disciples, but we want to make disciples who make disciples so that the body of Christ can begin to experience multiplication. How do we do that? You encourage them to grow. You encourage them to seek out experiences that will cause them to grow. And by the way, as you do this with them, this is the best part. It's going to cause you to grow too. You challenge them to memorize scripture. And then you think, oh, I should probably be doing that too, right? You challenge them to look for opportunities to, to witness. And you think, yeah, let's do that together because I need to be doing that too. And you look for ways for them to grow in their fruitfulness because that's what the Lord wants, right? That's what the Lord wants from all of us. You think back to John chapter 15, that beautiful image of the vine and the branches. And Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And then he's talking about how God interacts with the branches, what God does. There in, in verses one and two, Jesus says, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener, and every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And then don't miss this, he prunes every branch that does produce fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. See, the Lord isn't satisfied with just moderate production, but he is, it's like that father's love. He is always encouraging us to run faster, to go farther, to try harder, to work harder. He's always encouraging us to step forward, not that we might earn his approval through that, but already having his love, already having his equipping. He is constantly encouraging us forward. And so to our disciples, we need to have a perspective of not meeting their every need. You know, discipleship is not like babysitting where you just do everything for them and try to keep the mess to a minimum. No, 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 it's like coaching. What does a good coach do? A good coach runs with their, their team, they work out with them, and they, they teach them, and they assist them, and they encourage them. But what happens on game day? Coach steps back so that they can do it, so that they can step forward. And that's what we need to do, too, as we disciple others. When they have questions, don't just give them the answer but together go to God's word so that they can learn how to search out answers when they're hurting or they're confused or they're angry. Certainly be compassionate, but teach them how to get what they need from the Lord instead of just from you. Point them to Christ. Because discipleship isn't about me being the leader and them being the follower. Discipleship is about me being a road sign, pointing them to Jesus. It's interesting because discipleship is a lot like parenting. It's choosing to invest your time and your energy and your heart 
so that you can see someone else grow and develop. There's a sacrifice there. There's a, an other's centeredness that comes with it. It starts with their spiritual birth. It continues through their infancy. It goes through season after season of growth until they, they come into a place of maturity where they blossom into a peer. No longer a protege, but now a co-worker. Now not only are you pouring into them, but they're pouring just as much back into you and into many others that's really, that's the third stage of, of discipleship that I see with Jesus and his disciples. And, and it's, it's the culmination, it's the goal that we set out to achieve when we begin to feed that babe that could not find food on its own. And we move them forward bit by bit until one day our hope is that they will become a partner. We see Jesus calling his disciples in that way in John chapter 20. There Jesus says something that is radical. It's, it's, it's unthinkable in a sense. It's, it's after Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. And now Jesus appears to his disciples and he says, peace be with you, because they're probably freaking out because he had just appeared. And then Jesus says something that, should have caused them to freak out. He should have, if they understood what he was saying, he probably had to say, peace be with you again, okay? Because what he says next is more disturbing than having the guy that you watched crucify suddenly appear in the room with you. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Jesus says, just like God the Father sent me, to come and to spend my life here upon this earth in order to draw others into his kingdom. So I'm sending you. I'm sending you to be my ambassadors. I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit and I'm gonna equip you and I'm gonna send you out with this message of reconciliation. It, it, really, this is just a concise form uh, of that great commission passage that we read in Matthew 28. Uh, Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching them, and I'm with you always. Here, here Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And then it says, he breathed on them and he filled them with his Holy Spirit. You know, there comes a point within a discipleship relationship, or there should come a point where those that we have discipled, they now embrace that commission for themselves. Having learned to depend on the Lord, they become independent of us, and our role changes from teacher or coach to being that of a coworker. And they see themselves as being sent by the Lord every bit as much as we see that of ourselves. They become partners with us in the Lord's work, not just our, our protégés. And we get to that place, we find 
that we have done the very thing that Paul tells us we're supposed to do. Paul, in, in speaking to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he, he says this to Timothy, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then check this. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So take the things that I've said and invest it in others so that they can do the very thing that you're doing. Because you see, what the Lord desires isn't just that we would, you know, go out lobbing gospel bombs so that people could come to salvation, but then their journey would just end there. But rather, he wants to see multiplication in the church. He wants to see people growing to maturity. He wants to see discipleship happening. Do you notice that, that the scripture doesn't tell us that we're to go out and make converts, but rather we are to go out and to make disciples, those that we are in a relationship with, that we are urging them forward. But know this, though this is what Scripture calls us to, it won't just simply happen because we had a three-part sermon series on discipleship. It won't just happen because we agree that it's a good thing, because there's a price to be paid when we begin to engage in discipleship. I think it's interesting, just after telling Timothy that he needs to invest in others who will then teach Paul warns Timothy that there's, there's going to be pain to come from doing this, that it will come at a cost. In verse 3, he tells him, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You see, I can promise you this. I can promise you this, that if you give yourself to discipleship, there will be pain involved. And I think it really comes from two sources. I, I think first, it comes from the fact that we're messy, right? I'm a mess. You're a mess, okay? I mean, you look good today, but, but you know, when, when our lives come together, when we begin to interact on a, uh, on a more intimate basis, stuff gets messy at times, right? If you give yourself to discipleship, there will be conflict. There will be hurt. There will be brokenheartedness at times. That is a part of the process. Quite honestly, that's how you know it's real. There's another source of the pain that comes. He warns Timothy about that in, in verse 4. He, he says, um, I'm sorry, it's still in verse 3. The other source is the enemy, because there is nothing that gains the enemy's attention faster than entering into discipleship, because that's the thing we're called to do. He wants to, he wants to sabotage us and keep us from stepping into this place that the Lord has called us to, because he knows the fruitfulness that will come from it, and so there will be opposition. Now, the second reason discipleship doesn't just happen, he talks about that's in verse 4. Um, there, Paul warns Timothy not to get distracted by the cares of this life. Listen to what he says. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please his commanding officer. 
What Paul is saying is this. Listen, there are always going to be other things that you can do. There are always going to be other things that you can give yourself to. There will always be other things that you will take up your time and your energy and your focus. And so you will only actually begin to disciple others once you make a deliberate choice to begin to do so. Once you choose and not just to live your life morally or in a God-honoring fashion, but rather to allow your life to be spent for the kingdom, to let your life be used up in pursuit. Discipleship comes at a cost. It comes at a cost because it's a relationship, not a program. It comes at a cost because it's, it's a journey of shared experience. It's not merely a, a class syllabus of information. It comes at a cost because it's, it's more like gardening than it is like online shopping. And you know, discipleship isn't just click, click, wait. It, it, it's dig and plant and water and weed and wait and groom and cultivate. It's a process that takes our time and our investment and our attention. You know, back before the, the day of automatic sprinklers, it was a lot easier to make this point because you'd have, to, you'd have to remember to actually water things if you want them to stay alive through the heat of the summer. Now you just, you know, set your sprinkler system and go. But it doesn't work like that with disciples. We've got to give our attention and our focus over time. It all begins with availability. I like this. One of the guys in the elder team pointed this out to me this last week. Um, the Great Commission, it actually takes place in Galilee. They're on a mountain in Galilee. It's during that time period after the resurrection, but before the ascension. So Jesus, remember the disciples were in Jerusalem, and Jesus said, I want you to go to Galilee, and I'm going to meet you there. And so it was in one of those encounters that Jesus had with his disciples in Galilee uh, before that day when he ascended from the Mount of Olives to return to heaven, uh, that Jesus was there with his disciples, and he says, listen, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, you know, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. This whole thing that these disciples embraced, it began with them showing up where Jesus told them to show up. It began with them making themselves available. That's comforting to me because it didn't begin with them showing that they had the best skills or the greatest maturity or, or the most intense gifting of all. And really, you know, skill and gifting and knowledge and maturity, those are all very helpful things, right? But they don't do you any good if you don't have availability. I think that when it comes to discipleship, a lot of us, we, we like to hear 
about, oh, well, this is how it works, and, it, and this is what you're doing, and, and you come and see, and come and be with me, and, and now go, I send you as I was sent. And, but entering into it scares the daylights out of us, and it's very easy to avoid. But if we will make ourselves available, if we will hear these things and say, okay, Lord, I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm, uh, I'm in a great place to do this, but I'm willing. I'm willing. One of the young guys um, was talking to me a, a month or so ago, and, and he was saying, you know, I, I just came to Christ recently. Should I, should I really be discipling someone? I said, yeah, absolutely. Just don't think that you can take them any further than you've gone. You're on the road, you're on the path, and you're, you're, you're following Jesus. Why would you not invite others to join you? You can't take someone farther than you've gone. You can't explain things to them that you don't understand, but you can invite them to join you. You will never feel ready to begin to disciple someone. But I'll tell you this, that moment you make yourself available and you may not phrase it like this, but to say to someone who's interested, come and see. You want to look at this together? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I show you in the Bible what it says about what Jesus did that lets us come into a relationship with God as we begin to live life with others, discipling, encouraging, nurturing, challenging, growing, and then sending them out. It's God who will do the work. It's God who will bring the fruit. Let's make ourselves available. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time and for your word. I thank you for the, the opportunity to hear from you. And Lord, I, I pray that we would respond to you and God, that we would make ourselves available to you. God, that you would work in our midst. God, that you would grow us and strengthen us and that you would use us, Lord, to draw others to you. God, that we could nurture, we could encourage and challenge. And Lord, that we could see an amazing, a miraculous expansion of your kingdom, that we would see people who are lost get saved. And Lord, more than just get saved, come to maturity and become our co-workers in this work that you've called us to do. Work in us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.